0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, today we are resuming our study in the Gospel according to John. We're ready for chapters 15 and 16 today. Now, chapters 15 and 16 is kind of this continuation of this message that Jesus is given to his disciples before he is to go to the cross. Now, one thing that's important when we study the Bible, and this is a mistake that so many people make, so often we all make, it's important to understand context in who is the audience of the words being spoken. Because a lot of times... And I I see this mostly and more specifically in the prophecy realm. People try to make things about themselves and about their generation. And these words are going to the disciples to prepare them for what's about to happen. Now, there is general truth that applies to us in these uh, but there's just a couple of areas where people have tried to make it end time prophecy when really it's just preparing the disciples for what's to come. Um, uh, tr- some trouble that is going to come. Things of that nature. Uh, also, there's a, um, this is going to be one of those passages that's going to be really problematic for those who are greasy gracers. And for those who are hyper-Calvinist. Because there's a two-letter word that Jesus uses that many Christians are going to want to ignore. And it's uh, the two-letter word is if. If you do this. If you do that. There's, it's conditional. If. And so this, the, that two letter word, uh, will be used a lot in this message that Jesus is giving, uh, and it's going to be problematic for certain people's theology. So with that backdrop, let's put our pet doctrines and our personal opinions to the side and just let the word speak truth into us. Let's begin. The gospel according to John, chapter 15, starts with a very important picture, very important concept for us to understand. Verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he pruneth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except if it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Alright, let's stop for a minute and examine these first 14 verses. Lots of ifs in there. First of all, Jesus is using a picture, and it's the perfect picture for what he's trying to describe. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he, that is the husbandman, that is the vineyard keeper, that is the Father taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit so Jesus is the true vine and we are the branches attached to that vine if there's a branch that's not bearing fruit that branch is to be cut off and separated from the vine and those that do bear fruit even they have to be pruned from time to time so that they can bear more fruit and what does it mean to be pruned it's like you got to cut off some of those things in your life sometimes god interrupts your life and he cuts off some things and he separates some things for you from you it may be painful. We may not understand why is God doing this? Why is he interrupting this area of my life? But it's for your own good. Those who bear fruit, he's going to prune them so that you can bear more fruit. Those who don't bear any fruit are going to be cut off. That's what Jesus said. Remember, don't get mad at me about these things. You got an issue with what the word says. You take it up with God. He says, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine Jesus is saying you can't even bear fruit without me like nothing you can do literally nothing as it relates to the kingdom of God without Jesus he even says that right right there in verse 5 Let me read it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and it is withered. So it's kind of like this idea, if if a branch gets separated from the tree, what happens? It falls in the yard and it dies. Same same concept. If a man abide not in me, Jesus says, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If, two-letter word, you abide in me and my words in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. So here's the question. He keeps, saying to, he, sa- he keeps saying to abide in him and to continue in his love. So what does it mean to abide in him? It's not complicated. He, I mean, he goes on to make it very, very clear, but I'll make it all the more clear. Actually, I'm just going to read some commentary for you. This is, when, it's, when he says abide in my love, this is not emotional or mystical, but defined in as obedience. Jesus set the model by his perfect obedience to the Father, which we are to use as a pattern for our obedience to him. That's what it means to abide in him and to abide in his love. It is to obey him. He's going to clarify that for anybody who's having trouble. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. I want to read to you one paragraph from Matthew Henry on this topic, just to kind of send this idea home and then we'll move on. I know we're spending a lot of time on this, uh, but it's important that you understand this whole husbandman vineyard You're the vine, you know, he's the vine, you're the branch. And what is the uh, outcome of that? And what is your responsibility in that? Which Christ very clearly lays out. Here's what Matthew Henry says. Jesus Christ is the vine, the true vine. The union of the human and the divine natures and the fullness of the spirit that is in him resembles the root of the vine made fruitful by the moisture from a rich soil. Believers are branches of this vine. The root is unseen, and our life is hid with Christ. The root bears the tree and diffuses sap to it, and in Christ are all supports and supplies. The branches of the vine are many. Yet meeting in the root are all one vine. Thus, all true Christians, though in place and opinion distant from each other, meet in Christ. Please note that line that Matthew Henry gives is very important. We're all tr- we're all Christians. We're all attached to the same vine, though we're going to have different ideas and opinions, right? But we still come together in the one and most important truth, which is Messiah. So let me read that line again, and I'll continue on. The branches of the vine are many, meaning there are many Christians, yet meeting in the root are all but one vine. Thus all true Christians, though in place and opinion distant from each other, meet in Christ. Believers, like the branches of the vine, are weak and unable to stand as they are born up. The father is the husbandman, meaning he's the one that cares for the vineyard. Never was any husband so wise, so watchful about his vineyard as God is about his church, which therefore must prosper. We must be fruitful. From a vine we look for grapes, and from a Christian we look for a Christian temper, disposition, and life. We must honor God and do good. This is bearing fruit. The unfruitful are taken away, and even the fruitful branches need pruning. For the best have notions, passions, and humors that require to be taken away, which Christ has promised to forward the sanctification of believers. They will be thankful for them. See, we all have these passions, and we have these notions and things that we, that we, that we have in our lives that we like, and some of them, they have to be pruned. They have to be taken away from us. As part of our sanctification. And in the end, like Matthew Henry says, we'll be thankful that he did that. The word of Christ is spoken to all believers and there is a cleansing virtue in that word as it works grace and works out corruption. The more fruit we bring forth, the more we abound in what is good. The more our Lord is glorified. In order to fruitfulness we must abide in Christ. We must have union with him by faith. It is the great concern of all Christ's disciples constantly to keep up dependence upon Christ in communion with him. That's the important doctrinal truth that Jesus delivers here. You know, he says you can do nothing except you know through me. Uh, He says you Without me, you can do nothing when he's talking about bearing fruit. You see, we must, what Matthew Henry is saying is we must always keep at the forefront of our mind our dependency on Christ. As it relates to salvation, as it relates to bearing fruit, we can do none of it without him. We are completely and 100% and utterly dependent upon him. Even our obedience to him is really dependent upon him like we can't even obey him without him being our primary focus right every good thing that we are able to do is because we are attached to the vine and it's important to never forget our dependency upon jesus all right i think we've covered that subject far enough let's continue on Uh, we're ready for verse 15. We haven't gotten very far yet, but uh, we needed to spend some time on that. So we'll move a little bit faster here. Verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. By the way, Jesus is just making it clear to the disciples, Hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I preordained that you would be my disciples. And I have a commandment for you, and this is the second time he's given this commandment, you love each other. I think that might be one of the main, it's, first of all, it's the number one commandment that Christ gives, but it seems to be the number one commandment that all Christians have forgotten. Because if you look at the way people treat one another within the church, even within the online Christian communities, it doesn't seem to be with love. Moving on, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If, here's a two-letter word, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Listen. if If you're having trouble with the world and you're having trouble getting along with the world and with the world's ideas and views about how you should live and do, if that's problematic for you, that's a good thing, right? Because the world is going to see things completely different. And in fact, the world's going to hate you because of your connection with Jesus and because of your views on how to walk. If you're getting along great with the world, then there's probably a problem there. Verse 20, remember the word that I I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, then they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me, hateth my Father also. Another important doctrinal truth. Anyone who hates Jesus Christ, the Son of God, also hates the Father. Anyone. Anyone. It doesn't matter your religious affiliation. Jesus also makes the point over and over and over and over and over and over over through the scriptures that if you don't know him, you don't know the father. So I don't care what religious organization you're from. I don't care what your blood DNA is. If you deny Jesus Christ, if you hate him, you don't know the father And you also hate the Father. So the God that you're worshipping is not the God of the Bible, according to Jesus himself. Again, don't get angry at me about this. This is what the Word of God says. Take it up with God. And be careful about learning from teachers who seem to know a lot about the Old Testament, seem to know a lot about God, but deny Jesus Christ. They don't know the Father. Continuing on. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now they have both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Who's he talking about, by the way? Their law. Miracles I've done in front of them. He's talking about the Jewish people specifically the Jewish religious leaders. But he's pointing out the fact that, hey, they don't know me. There's other parts of the Gospels where he tells them plainly, you're, you're not the seed of Abraham. You're not the father's seed. In fact, you're the seed of Satan. If you don't know me, you don't know the father. And then he says, it's, he's quoting a psalm here. Uh, he's quoting Psalm thirty-five, nineteen, and Psalm sixty-nine, verse four. But this cometh to pass, what cometh to pass? The fact that they hate him, and do not know the Father. Cause what does he say in verse twenty-four? If they had not if I had not done among them the works which no other man did, in other words he's saying, I performed these miracles which are impossible unless you're God they had not had sinned, but now they have both seen and hated me and my Father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And you shall also bear witness because ye have been with me from the beginning. So that's the end of chapter 15. It ends with. He starts talking about the Holy Spirit. And really, we shouldn't call it the Holy Spirit. It should just be called Holy Spirit, because Holy Spirit is a person. Holy Spirit is a person. But we refer to it as the Holy Spirit, and so so does the English Scriptures. Verse 16, or I'm sorry, chapter 16, verse 1. These things I have spoken unto you that you should not be offended. That almost could be written to Christians today. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God a service. Again, what's the context and who's the audience? He's talking to the disciples. He just told them, you know, those who reject me don't actually know God. And he's warning them, the disciples, that the day is coming where he's going to leave, but he's going to send a comforter, but they're going to have trouble because just like they hated him, they're going to hate his disciples to the point where they're going to kick you out of the synagogues. What are the synagogue? I mean, this is not difficult, but we make it difficult for some reason to protect our pet doctrines. The Jewish people are going to kick you out of their religious institutions and persecute you for the sake of Christ because they don't know Jesus and they don't know the Father. That's plainly and simply what Jesus is saying. For some reason, dispensational theologians, specifically in the end times niches, want to act like this is about the third temple and some future thing. It's not. It was dealing with that time and the time that was going to come and the persecution that was going to come upon the early believers, specifically his own disciples, who each of them were persecuted heavily. This is He's warning them about this, that scenario. This has nothing to do with some future thing. Continue on, verse 3. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. He's made that point how many times? Verse 4 But these things I have told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you have seen me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged who's who's the prince of the world at this time Satan what's getting ready to happen when Jesus goes to the Father to be at the right hand of the Father Father Satan is judged continue on I have yet many things to say unto you but you cannot bear them now howbeit when he the spirit of truth see that the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of the disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again in a little while, and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. They said therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were serious to ask him, and he said unto them, do you inquire among yourselves that I said a little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me? By the way, what's he talking about? He's clearly talking about, and we know this in hindsight, that he's going to die, but then he's going to rise from the dead, right? So, in a little while he's going to be gone, but then he'll be right back. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I see unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. You shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman when she is in travail has sorrow because her hour is come, but as soon as she has delivered the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born unto the world and you know, therefore, you, you now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. By the way, he's talking about spiritual things here and spiritual wisdom. He's not talking about ask for a new car or a nice house. People will ask for things like material things in this world, and then go, but I asked it in Jesus's name, so it's, I guess the word of God isn't true. Well, that, that's not what the word of God is talking about. Continuing on. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask me in my name and I shall say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said unto them, Lo, now speakest thou plainly and speakest no proverb. Now we are sure that Thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that you shall be scattered, every man to his own, and you shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world... You shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's saying, are you sure you believe? Because here really soon, you're about to be scattered. And we're going to be reading about that uh, in the coming weeks. Well, that is our study for this morning in the gospel according to John Honestly, it's not hard truths. It's not things that were, that's that been difficult throughout church history. I mean, you go read people like Matthew Henry or Charles Spurgeon or any of the reformers. Or you go even further back and you read uh, the church fathers. I mean, these things were very clear to them. But we live in a time of great deception. Uh, there's great deception on many fronts. I would say that is the enemy's number one tool against us right now is deception. And it's it's even taking place within Christianity, within the church, uh, the internet being as beautiful as it is for doing what I'm doing right now, which is reading the word of God and it's going to all corners of the earth. It's beautiful, but unfortunately what also happens is lies corruption deceit in cloaked as truth, cloaked as Christianity, is also being spread to the four corners of the earth. So you have to seek the Holy Spirit and let God show you what is true and what is not. You have to let the Word of God renew your mind day by day. You have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling as the scriptures say you have to look in the mirror and examine yourself in a world where you're constantly being bombarded with lies you have to be grounded in the word of God you have to know what the word of God says and what it teaches Christians who don't know their Bible well who don't study it often they're the ones that are being swept away by the woke mob they're the ones being swept away by lies and deceits and false doctrines and r- deep rabbit holes and things that are that that are just not true because they're easily deceived because they don't know the word and don't take my my words for it study the scriptures for yourself Be a good Berean. study the scriptures daily to see whether these things are true. But you have to seek it out for yourself. Study and research is not going on YouTube and watching five documentaries that affirm what you want to believe. That's what people do. They pick a topic that they believe in, that they're trying to prove to themselves is true, and they go find four or five people that reinforce their belief that's not research that's no different than having a political view and then turn turning tuning into your favorite TV stage news station that promotes that political view just to reinforce your view real research involves looking at all sides and reading looking at historical narratives Reading what people have believed in the past, reading commentaries, comparing these things, and then coming to a conclusion. The reason why most people don't have solid, grounded truth, regardless of what the topic is, is because they don't do real research and real study. They're too lazy for that. Anyway, I'm ranting. So it's a good time to wrap it up. Thanks for listening, friends. I hope you've been blessed. I hope you've been challenged. I hope your heart's been pierced. But above all, I pray that you've been drawn even closer to God and to his son. Thanks for listening. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.